We are walking through a series called Laying Hold. Laying Hold. As we're talking about prayer and uh, what does it mean, and we hear this word, pray or prayer, and uh, it's too easy to start to get to go, well, yeah, I get that. Or maybe, yeah, I don't get that, I'm just going to pass by it. And may we grasp the depths of the privilege that we get to talk to this God that was just sung about, Yahweh, the one who literally has no one like him. And he's allowing us to come to him and communicate with him. And men, we've talked about the privilege of laying hold. What does it mean? Laying hold of his willingness, not laying hold of his reluctance. Your God loves you. He loves you with all, of his, all that he's got, and he's longing to be able to pour into your life. And uh, man, as we come before him, our job is to recognize this simple thing. We need him. And so whether it be in your weakness where you recognize a faltering, a temptation or whatever, and you drop on your knees and say, God, please come to, I need you. You're my strength. Or maybe it's recognizing who the Holy Spirit is as you lay hold of him and all of his value. And you begin to pour into him and thank him for all that he's doing to you and with you. Maybe it's partnering and praying for those around you and longing to see God work there. Or even like last week as we begin to use God's word and we pray it back exactly as it reads. Like the literal praying back of God's word and letting him do a work in your life. Man, we've been talking about laying hold. May we grab a fervency for our prayer and a hunger in communicating with God. And all of God's people said, and uh, today we're looking at laying hold of discipline and purpose. Laying hold of discipline and purpose. And I'm just telling you, it's pretty easy to hear those words and feel like the weight is being put on our shoulders, right? Discipline of prayer. Oh, great. That sounds fun. And uh, the purpose and the discipline and the weight that it carries and that that's not where we're going. Everybody say that's not where we're going. In fact, here's the deal, man. The discipline and purpose of prayer requires us to recognize this one thing. We cannot handle the weight and the importance of our lives and our walk, and we need our God. In fact, as we pour through this passage, it's going to be revealing in multiple ways. It's not for us to carry. It's him carrying the load. And all of God's people said... And so as we go into this discipline and purpose of prayer, may we grasp the purpose and the greatness of Jesus Christ. That's what we're looking at today here, okay? And so turn with me, if you will, to Hebrews chapter 4, starting in verse 14. And our steps to being able to really have a prayer life on fire. First step, look to Jesus as, and then I put some big words in here, ready? Look to Jesus as your propitiation... Very simply, him for me. That's all it means. Propitiation, it means he paid what you owe. Him for me, okay? Look to Jesus as your propitiation, him for me, your inspiration, me like him. He's your model. Lord, may I run hard after following your example and me like you, right? Your inspiration and your very confession. Lord, I am following after you with all I've got. You are my king. You are my God. I am yours. Me for him. And uh, your propitiation, your inspiration, your confession. Man, if we start to grasp Jesus Christ as all of this, it'll rock your prayer life. Okay? And so let's just dive in here. It starts in verse 14. 
It says, since then, we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. And it will just hold there. It says, since then. Now, sometimes when you see the word since or therefore, it's looking backward. And sometimes it's actually looking forward. The phrasing here tells you it's looking forward. It says, since then we have, and then he starts to fill it in, all right? And he's like, hey, there's something awesome I'm about to tell you, and it's going to have a cause effect. And let's make sure we grasp it and dig in deep with it. And so since then we have a great high priest, right? Because we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Let's just hang right there. Uh, Since we have a great high priest, well, let's start this way. Since we have a priest, like somebody standing on your behalf, but not just any old priest, a high priest, like he is able to represent not just you as an individual, but he represents a nation of people. But it's not just a high priest, we have the great high priest. This is the only time that phrase is used in scripture, great high priest priest. Jesus Christ, he represents all of the world as he comes before them on their behalf. And what does a high priest even do, right? If we don't know the Jewish culture and we're not really clear how the temple works, this is a little vague to us. And so what does it even mean to be a high priest? In fact, look forward to chapter 5, verse 1 in Hebrews here, just a few verses forward. Chapter 5, verse 1, for every high priest chosen from among men is appointed, here's his job, to act on behalf of men in relation to God to offer gifts and sacrifices for sins. The job of the high priest is to represent others and bringing their sin before them and offering up sacrifice to have it covered, okay? And the great high priest, his job is to take the sins of the entire world And to offer them up and cover them up before the Father, saying, here is a sacrifice for them. And what makes him so great? That he himself is the sacrifice. As he stands up and says, this one is to be covered with what I offer. My sin shed blood covering his sin. And that's a huge deal. Jesus Christ, him covering me. He is our great high priest covering our sin. My sin covered. Your sin covered by Jesus Christ. And all of God's people said, since we have that great high priest who is fixing what we could not fix. Notice it says a little more about him. Who has passed through the heavens who has passed through the heavens. Literally, this means he has ascended up from this earth, up through the skies, the heavenlies, up into the heavens, and is now with the Father. Since he has passed through the heavens, he has ascended. In fact, we see this, Acts chapter 1, as Jesus is ascending up right before them, and there's witnesses to it, and they're watching him go up To be with the Father. Ephesians chapter 1 talks about Jesus Christ who ascended up on high and is seated at the right hand of the Father. What's the big deal with that? Well, the right hand is the judging hand of the Father. And Jesus Christ is seated like, yeah, that problem's resolved. That's what we're talking about. He is seated at the right hand, the judging hand of the Father like the job is done. 
I've covered what needs to be covered. And uh, he has ascended up and is seated with the Father now, this great high priest. This is our hope. This is our life. And uh, the catch is it's pretty easy to start to see this Jesus as something very other than us, very different than us. And he is, right? God himself. And, uh, and yet, he's going to begin to share some hope with us that we can start to connect with. It says then, let us hold fast to our confession to Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold fast to our confession. What does the word hold fast mean? Well, it literally means to grip tightly with all you've got. Like literally to grip so tight that you feel it. Everybody just do this with me. Take your hand, right? Raise it up in the air a little bit. All right, everybody holding your palm up. Now grip as tight as you can. I mean squeeze it down. Squeeze it harder. Your, your hand should be shaking if you're squeezing it as hard as you can. Squeeze it out. All right? Now begin to release it a little bit. Can you feel the difference between a loose grip and a holding fast with all you've got? In fact, when you've been holding fast, you'll feel it in your fingers. You'll feel it in your palm. You'll feel it in your forearm. You'll feel it, man. He's like, use that, man. Grab on with all you've got. Cling. Hold fast. Like a rock climber on the edge of a cliff, holding on to nothing but a single tiny crevice with all your grip you're holding on because your life depends on it. Hold fast. Hold fast. And what's the crevice you're holding on to? Well, your confession. I believe that Jesus Christ has risen from the dead. I confess him as my Lord. And Romans 10, 9 and 10 says, and you will be saved. Man, our confession is in the greatness of Jesus Christ and the smallness of us. Our confession is in our dire need for him. And the fact that we don't have it together, but he does. And so we're clinging to him with all we've got. Man, hold fast to your confession of Jesus Christ. He is your great high priest. He has ascended up into the heavenlies and he brings hope as he covers our sin with his very life. That's our God. And, uh, and that's our hope. It says, for we do not have a high priest. Everybody say not. We do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses. In other words, double negative there, right? He is able to sympathize with your weaknesses, with my weaknesses. He grasps what it is to walk in this broken world. He knows what it is to walk through a struggle. He knows. He can sympathize with you. And you're like, how? Glad you asked. It says right after it, but he is one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. He has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Everybody say, without sin. Super important we grasp that. Jesus Christ, perfect, without sin. Sinless, never made a mistake, has it together, and yet he has been tempted as we are. And so let's just camp on this for a moment and let's talk it through for just a second, all right? Want to make sure we grasp this and there's a, 
uh, a pretty basic statement to this and then a little bit headier, a little bit deeper statement to it. And we got to make sure we get it all, okay? And so what's he saying here? Well, first, the simple. Jesus never actually made a mistake. He never sinned. That's a super huge deal. Everybody say that's a huge deal, right? We're not looking to someone who's like, hey, look to me. I kind of had it together for a little while and then I sort of blew it. Right? That's not really a very motivational guy to follow. Hey, look to me. I don't know what I'm talking about at all. Right? Everybody say, not that. It's not that. He's faced what we faced, yet he's handled it perfectly. He is our model, but more than that, he is our strength. He is our hope. He is our victory. He is our life. He is our salvation. He is our transformation. He's our hope. Right? And uh, Jesus Christ. All right, so let's put a few words down. Ready? You might want to write these down. Temptation. What does that word mean? I really wrestled with this all week long, and uh, here's the best definition I came up with. Temptation. An unsatisfied desire being played with. Temptation. An unsatisfied desire. There's something longing in you. An unsatisfied desire being played with. That's temptation, right? And so let's just put it real simply. Uh, if I'm sitting out at dinner, I go out for a nice steak dinner, and I'm sitting with some friends, and we're eating this huge steak, and I get through this huge steak and salad and baked potato and some great um, glasses of water filled up as soon as I need it, right? And so this awesome meal, and I'm very filled up. And then they come up, and they're like, hey, would you like a 16-ounce New York strip steak right now? And you're like, <laughs> really, I'm very full. I'm good. I'm great right now, and I'm, I'm not in need of that. In fact, I'm not really hungering for that right now at all. And uh, a temptation has very little effect when there is no desire, when there is no unsatisfied desire. That's a really big deal. And so we're being tempted when we're unsatisfied in some area, and there's a whispering in and a playing with, Okay temptation. It's an unsatisfied desire. Now, we're going to talk about that a little bit more in just a second, but notice this. Sin. Let's define it as well. Sin. It's a wrong thought or a wrong feeling or a wrong action. A wrong thought or a wrong feeling or a wrong action. That's sin. Like it can be here, it can be here, or it can be here, right? It can be in my head, it can be in my heart, it can be in my hands, and uh, sin, it can be in any facet of me as I'm living something out wrongly. And that's a huge deal. So now let's go back and use these definitions and let's reread this. Remember, he was tempted in every way. Jesus had some unsatisfied desires and yet he never had a wrong thought or a wrong feeling or a wrong action as those were played with. Okay? Super important we get that. Now, now we're going to go a little bit deeper. Ready? You might want to crack your neck a little bit. <laughs> get ready. Here we go. All right? James chapter 1, verse 13, it says, God cannot be tempted with evil. God cannot be tempted with evil. And uh, wait a minute. I thought it just said Jesus was tempted in every way as we are. And we're going to have to answer that. Okay, so James 1.13, God cannot be tempted with evil. What does that even mean? Here's what it means. God sitting as God himself, he never has an unsatisfied desire. Doesn't have it. 
God never has an, he is fully satisfied. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, the three in themselves as God, one, one being God, completely satisfied in themselves. There is nothing to be toyed with. There's no way you can come in and tempt or play with because there is complete satisfaction. Okay, that's God. There is no unsatisfied desire. Okay? So then what's going on with Jesus? I thought Jesus was God. Right? And the answer is, uh, yes, he is. Jesus is God. And so what's going on? How do we resolve that? It goes like this. Jesus is God, but Philippians chapter 2, and being God, he humbled himself And it says he even emptied himself. Literally, he set aside some of the rights and privileges of the Godhead. And in that moment, he began to taste of unsatisfied desire. Jesus Christ, as he literally clothed himself with humanity, man, as you put on this flesh, this is just a giant bag of unsatisfied desires, isn't it? I mean, when you think about it, every day, we're like, okay, I just ate something. Woo, I'm almost satisfied. Wait, it's been two hours, never mind, I'm hungry again, right? Or boy, I've been sleeping yesterday really good, but today, man, I need to go to sleep again. I need more sleep. We're constantly in this state with our body where we're trying to satisfy and it gets unsatisfied and then try to satisfy and it gets unsatisfied. Can you imagine being the God of the universe? You've never tasted of an unsatisfied desire. And you are now setting that down and you are picking up flesh that daily, regularly is unsatisfied in its desires. Jesus Christ for us. Man, we better get how much he put aside. And I'm telling you, however long you spend wrapping your arms around that, we will never quite grasp how much he gave up. Philippians 2, how much he humbled himself as he now clothes himself with this bag of flesh that brings with it unsatisfied desires. In fact, even more than that, though, literally as he set down some of the rights of the Godhead, right? Jesus Christ, he is all-powerful. He can do anything and all beings report to him. That's who he is, God of the universe. And he set that aside for a moment. For a moment, don't forget that because we're going to come back to it. But he set aside that he's all in charge. How about this? Everything is mine. But I set that aside for a moment. And as he comes to this earth, fully God, yes, just setting aside the right, leaving an unsatisfied desire. This is mine. And fully man with our bag of unsatisfied desires, right? That's who he is. And he's wrestling through it. Now imagine Matthew chapter 4 when Satan comes to tempt, right? Toy with unsatisfied desires. He now says, hey, it's been 40 days since you've eaten. Why don't you have some bread? Is there anything wrong with a human being eating when they're hungry? What's the answer to that? No, there is nothing wrong with that. And, and yet in this moment, the father has said, hey, there's something we're doing, so now is not the time. So there's nothing wrong with that natural desire of eating some bread, this unsatisfied desire in your gut and longing for some food to replenish the, the body. There's nothing wrong with that, but not right now. 
There's a fast going on and it's between you and me. And so Jesus Christ says, no, the word that I'm going to be eating is the word for my father and I'm leaning and trusting in him, right? And so he, he says, now is not the time. This is an unsatisfied desire. There's nothing sinful about that desire to eat some bread, but now wasn't the time. And then he says, hey, why don't you throw yourself off, have the angels protect you? Why don't you show that you're in charge? Here's the deal, man. He is in charge. There's nothing wrong with Jesus saying, I am in charge. Now's not the time. It's an unsatisfied desire. The desire itself was not sin, but now wasn't the time. Hey, why don't you just take all this land and make it yours? It is mine. Now's not the time. Jesus Christ tasted of unsatisfied desires being played with. Unsatisfied desires of the flesh panging and of the rights of who he was and what he owned. And man, he has been through what we walk through, yet without sin. He knows what it is to do this and stay sinless. That's our God. And uh, Man, I don't know if we can get the depth of this. Just by talking it through a little bit, all I can say is continue to ponder the greatness of your Lord Jesus Christ. And all of God's people said, he was tempted in every way as we are, and yet without sin. His unsatisfied desires, which were not sin, were played with, and he did not falter once. That's our God. Right. Let me just say this. Uh, this past week was the Super Bowl, and uh, some of you are like, yes, it was. And uh, you're Patriots fans, and others of you are like, yes, it was. And uh, you were either Falcons fans or you were just anti-Patriots fans, whichever. And uh, look, the reality is as we watch these sporting events and we see things go down, have you noticed there's one thing they always do to help you grasp what's going on? They bring somebody in who's going to be a commentator who actually had played the sport before really, really well, right? Whether it be a Troy Aikman or whoever they bring in, they're going to bring in a guy who can be like, oh, I've been there. And I'm telling you, here's what they're thinking right now. And here's what's going on with, right? That's that's just a very simple, small example of what we're being told right here in Hebrews 4. Just know this. You have a God who has tasted of this world. He has walked in what it means to have unsatisfied desires and those being played with. He was able to hold it together. He is the best of the best at walking it. And he is right here with you. Man, hold fast to your confession. Do not release that Jesus Christ is your God. He is your hope. He is your king. He is your great high priest. Man, our prayer will light up as we start getting who he is, right? So simple question. How are you doing at clinging? Clinging to him. How are you doing at holding fast to the hope that comes in Jesus Christ? And maybe you're hoping too much in you. I think I've got this one. Time to set it down. May your God get your all. All right? Point number two. Confidently and boldly approach the throne 
knowing that the same Jesus stands in the gap on your behalf. Confidently and boldly approach the throne, knowing that this same Jesus stands in the gap on your behalf. Here we go. It says, let us then with confidence draw near. Notice the words, let us. That actually is in the command form, right? Let us draw near. It's saying, do this, draw near confidently. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace. Man, come close to Jesus Christ. Come close to the throne of grace where God is willing to lavish out on you all that you don't deserve. That's what grace means, right? Receiving what we don't deserve. Mercy, not receiving what we do deserve. God holding off punishment that would be rightly ours. And uh, he's saying, man, do this with confidence. Run to the throne of grace. Know this. It's not because of your goodness. It's because of his. And that's why we're confident. See, how often we actually pray in the confidence in our own goodness. And so now we start being, we're like, oh, I really haven't done very well lately. I've been sinning in this area and I have had a bad attitude here and this hasn't gone quite right and so I'm just going to hold off and not go near him right now. I'm going to try to clean this up a little bit and once I get it cleaned up then, then I'll come to him. We're now trying to come confidently in our own goodness. Everybody say that's a bad plan. Dude, that is a bad plan. And this scripture talks very clearly about confidently drawing near to the throne of grace based on Jesus Christ and who he is, right? And, uh, confidence in him, not in me. Notice it says that we may receive mercy and find grace in our time of need. Mercy, him holding off that punishment you deserve, and grace, him lavishing on what you don't deserve. All because he loves you and he's got a plan. Notice it says in your time of need. Man, are you in a spot right now where you were like, oh boy, do I have a time of need. Let me tell you what I'm going through. And uh, man, confidently, boldly approaching the throne, not because you're coming on your own behalf like, I'm so worthy of being here. Not that. But you're stepping in saying, God, I'm so broken. And I'm so in need. And you know what I need. This temptation has been eating me up and it never once got the better of you. God, I'm leaning on you and I'm trusting in you and may you do a work in my soul. I'm confident, not in me, but in you. And that's why I'm here. And watch God work. I'm telling you, it'll start stirring you in a way you cannot imagine when your confidence is placed in him, not you. When your goodness that you're hoping in is his goodness, not yours. All of a sudden, you start to see God in a whole new light as he's pouring on what is not rightly ours to even claim. Man, this is the hope we have in him. Here's uh, page 114 out of the book, Victorious Praying, Journey to Victorious Prayer. Page 114. He says, you do not spend time in prayer. You invest time in prayer. Dude, that is a killer statement. You do not spend 
time in prayer. It is not time wasted, time lost. You invest time in prayer. It is getting alone with your God. It is learning from him. It is sharing with him. It is him changing you. Most of the time when we power pray, we're the ones that are going to start grasping things in a whole new way. It's all about what happens in our soul as God does a work. And there are times where we're lavishing out and we're pouring out and nothing changes in where we stand because we're so aligned with scripture and yet we're finding out the will of God and where he's going. Man, may you come confidently before your God knowing he loves you. He cares about you. Let me say it one more time. He loves you. With all he's got, he loves you. And he is ready to pour it on for his glory and your benefit. Man, comes storming the throne of grace to invest, not to spend. And I just wrote these words down real quick here. Four times that Jesus prayed. This comes right out of the book as well. Thought it was worth seeing. And uh, we know it says praying always with, uh, in the spirit, right? With all prayer and supplication. So we should. We should always have this kind of, Lord, I'm talking with you moment. But there are times where we need to up the ante. Where we need to bring a hotter level of prayer. There's a bigger something going on. And, and uh, here was his examples. Four times to really have the, that heated prayer, that fervent prayer, number one, before important events or decisions. Before important events or decisions. And uh, Luke chapter 6, verses 12 and 13, Jesus is about ready to choose the 12 disciples. He goes into this massive time of prayer. Jesus did. Okay, let's that settle. So the one who is fully God needed an extended time of prayer before making an event or decision moment. How much more do we, right? In that big event or decision, make sure you've bathed it in prayer. Luke chapter 6, verses 12 and 13 there. This is four times that Jesus prayed. Here we go, point number two. Immediately after significant achievements. See, we've hit the high. Something huge has happened and if we don't start the prayer moment in that moment, we just start falling into this exhausted bottom, this valley. And it can take you by surprise because you were so high up. And now what's with the low? And he's like, even after these great achievements, in Matthew 14, 22 and 23, there's a great example of that. Matthew 14, 22 and 23. Immediately after significant achievements, man, if you've just experienced a great success, get on your knees and thank your God. All too often, it's so easy, right, as human beings to be like, and we're good again. And we just start wandering through life until the next problem hits. We're pretty good on number one, let's be honest. When things get hot, we get on our knees or we start crying out, God, do you see this, right? Usually we think we're informing him. Uh, we're not, right? But we're like, do you see? Are you aware? Right? We're pretty good at that moment of prayer. We feel like in some way if we plead out or control out enough, God will do something. But the backside of thankfulness, we tend to drop that pretty quickly. Point number three, when life is unusually busy. When life is unusually busy. Mark 1.35 is a great example of it. When life is unusually busy. If you're like, that's never me, I don't believe you. Okay, when life is unusually busy, things get busy, man, and it gets hard for us to prioritize and value and make sure you're bringing your prayer time before God. And then number four, when you are overwhelmed 
with need. Maybe it's physical need, maybe it's a job need, maybe it's an emotional need, maybe it's a family need. There's something just overwhelming you. And uh, Matthew 9, 35 to 38 is a great example there. This is when Jesus is looking out over the harvest and he's like, the harvest is plentiful, but the harvesters and the people going out and collecting and bringing them in, they're few. God, send people who will go. And he starts praying out for that as he sees the need in front of him. And this is Jesus Christ and his prayer life. Man, may we begin to adopt a fervency that matches the fervency of Jesus' prayer. He is a great model for us and an example of, uh, of what we should be in prayer. It's very simple. We need to go after it with all we've got. Because Jesus Christ has given us the model of what it looks like. He is our great high priest who has paid it and made it available. God loves on us and he's ready to lavish into us. Are we ready to taste of all that we have through Jesus Christ, right? He's our hope. He's our everything. So that said, I just thought it would probably be a great time for us today to take time in communion. Time where we thank our God and we reflect back on Jesus Christ and all that he's done for us. So I'm just going to ask those who are going to help serve communion, why don't you guys go ahead and get in place? And while they're doing that, <laughs> traffic flow right in the middle. While they're doing that, let's just walk through a little bit of what communion is, all right? Communion. Reflecting on these couple of verses right here. This is a thanking our Lord Jesus Christ for being our great high priest. And so if you have trusted Christ as your Savior, man, this is for you. As the bread and cup are passed down, this is for you, for you to be able to take and say, God, I want to be thanking you for Jesus and all that he means to me, all right? And if you haven't trusted Christ as your Savior, then here's what I would ask. As the bread and cup are passed in this tray, just go ahead and pass the tray by. That's fine. And just take a moment where you're silent, you're praying to your God even, if you want to be letting him know, I don't even know if I get this. And Lord Jesus, I'm willing to hear who you are. Maybe even in this moment right here where you're like, it's time for me to commit. And you're taking this moment to say, I'm in. Please forgive me for my sin. I believe that you are risen from the dead and I am giving you my soul. And maybe right now you're taking this time and just handing it to him. That's awesome. So again, for those of you who do trust in Christ, this is for you. And so this is, as this is passed, just take the cups. Remember, there's two cups stacked, right? So just take both cups stacked. Um, the one has the bread and the other has the drink. So take both cups, right? How many cups? Take both cups, right? You're going to take the stack and pass it on. This is for those who are trusting in Christ as Savior. We're going to take some time where we're going to reflect and then we'll take it together at the end after the prayer time, all right? So let's just go to prayer now and storm the throne of grace.